and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Potential Paradigms. Our topic today is our voice is potential to sing and the deep connection between voice and self-expression and healing. My guest today is Ruti Halwani. Ruti has been an opera singer and has performed across Europe, Israel, and United States. In her professional career, Ruti has also been a lecturer at the University of London, and throughout her career, she has been a vocal mentor and coach at many institutions and studios. She is also the author of the recent book, How to Choose Your Singing Teacher. Before we turn to the conversation, I highly recommend listening to one of Ruti's performances. It will make the conversation much more contextual and enjoyable. If you're watching this video on YouTube, the links should be right on the screen. And if you're hearing this conversation on iTunes, Spotify, or some other medium, then please look at the description. The links should be at the very top. And now let's turn to the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Potential Paradigms. Today, we will be exploring the powerful instrument we all have, our voice, and also the connection between voice and healing. It is my good fortune today that I have Ruti Halwani with me, who has had a stellar career both as a performer and as a teacher. Thank you so much for being here today, Ruti. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to uh, uh, to be invited to this podcast and by you and to get to know you by these conversations. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I've been, uh, I'm a very new uh, student of music, uh, particularly the voice. So I'm really excited to learn from you and have this conversation. So welcome again. And uh, we could talk about a lot of things, Ruti, but maybe we could begin at the very start. And uh, I would like to ask you why singing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or what inspired uh, you to Why singing? Me? I heard once an interview, I think it was at the BBC or so, but they, the interviewer was a very famous opera singer. And they asked him, um, uh, why, why you became a singer? Or what's the reason you chose opera singing? So he said, if I was not a singer, I would be a psychopath. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not exactly my case, but I can uh, say that I couldn't see myself um, doing anything else. Or let's say I've been doing a lot of other things, but, but, um, but I can't think of my life without singing. And singing's been my friend and my companion for so many, many, many years. Um, and people can say it's, um, you know, cliche to say it was, he chose me and that kind of thing. I'm not sure about that. I only know that from the age of four, um, my father told me that. I, was, I don't know if I really remember the details, but he told me that at the age of four, I asked him, to buy me some candy and sweets and everything so I could give the children in the neighborhood so they can come to hear me singing. Okay. Wow. So I already was very good in selling tickets. <laughs> awesome. And, yeah, that, uh, that helps a lot. It's very funny because I had an urge to sing. I do remember myself asking my parents to, um, you know, to raise me, put me on a table in the middle of a party so I can sing. So 
it's amazing so somebody so young at the age of four needs to perform what is it i have no idea so i don't know if it's just the singing or maybe it's the need to perform and to get attention but <laughs> i exploded uh you know over the years and realized that singing has a very strong power of healing and uh, I am sure that I chose it to be my uh, therapist. And um, singing, it helped me a lot uh, to understand, to get to know myself. And of course, later on, to be able to do, to help people, other people, um, explore their voice. And there's a lot of joy in oh. doing this. A lot of joy. And I'm... Uh, I'm sort of privileged to be singing as well, still in my age, and also to be teaching and to hear singing every day, every day. So um, wonderful. It um, it really looks like from what you're describing that it, it was a natural gift to uh, start exploring singing at a very early age. And uh, as I was hearing what you were describing, it seems like the first uh, uh, thing that you shared about the BBC interview it uh, it it's, it did did click in that it it has a big effect on our psychology and how we relate in the world and we'll be exploring this in in the interview as well, um, but it really makes sense that as you said you were your own therapist that that seems to make a lot of sense. I was um, earlier before the interview I was actually looking at your book which is on Amazon which probably later in the show we'll we'll talk about. Uh, the title of which is How to Choose Your Singing Teacher. We'll add it in the show notes. And I was looking at the sample, um, and one of the things that really touched me was this uh, story you had with your dad, that your first teacher, music teacher, was a little far away from your village, and you would have to take a bus. And uh, I believe you said that it usually got dark by the time you came back, and you were always thinking if your dad was there. Uh, and he was always there. And I was I was hoping you would you share that, what, um, if there was anything you would like to say more about it? Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. There's a lot of aspects to this story, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, in fact, it was just, um, you know, saying that my father and my mother were very supportive of my hobby. And my mother is the one who actually... Uh, discovered that I love singing, and she took me in in hand in hand. She took me to the conservatorium in the little city we used to live, and she said that she introduced me to this. It was important for her that I'll do something with the singing. She discovered that, and at the age of twelve, I think it was the first my first lessons. I wanted to play the guitar, but my hands were too small. Yeah. I have smaller hands compared to my height, but. They, I couldn't really hold the neck, you know, of the guitar. So they said, start singing, take lessons in singing, and then later on you catch up with the guitar, which was exactly what happened. But what happened, we lived in a little city, and I started there, and I really loved that, really loved my singing lessons. And then my parents decided to move, I think, around that year. They moved to a village, to an artist village. My father is an artist. <laughs> it's one of these pieces behind me. And uh, it's part of the story, yes. And uh, what happened is that I needed to give up my singing lessons, or at least that's what I thought. 
And uh, they said, no, you will be able to carry on your singing lessons and you'll take a bus from school and we'll, you know, our village was further away from the, from the main road and the buses would not go all the way to the village. Um, and so it stopped where it stopped. And then I, we used to hitchhike, you know, and it was about, I don't know, about a mile or so, but half the hill, it was very difficult to walk it. So you hitchhike. And it's not for a girl to do it by herself, you know, at the age of 12. So my father used to go down the hill. He didn't have a car and he would wait for me so we can hitchhike together. So I would not be alone. And as it came to winter in, in Israel, in the winter, five o'clock is late, it's dark already. So, uh, so in the winter time, uh, he would come and, and wait for me. And there was a little fear in me that he would not make it by the time, not that he would never come. I was sure he will be there, but maybe he couldn't, he didn't get a, you know, a lift or so. Anyway, so there was the thing about, which later on uh, proved itself that my father always honored his word. You know, he said he's going to be there and he's going to be there. And I think this is a great start for a child. Not everybody, um, you know, has the privilege of having parents that would uh, support them to start with and be there for them. This is calling be there for somebody. And of course, yeah, that that was for me um, a challenge. I kept it for a couple of years or so. And then I made my own way. You know, I I moved to another teacher and, uh, you know, uh, didn't need my father to come to to see me there, but he still reminded me. He's a ninety-two years old, that he reminds me this, um, you know, episode that he used to make me think I'm still, I still owe him. So, <laughs> <laughs> I in fact, I did, did. I'm sure <laughs> I did nice. a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and you were mentioning that the sculptor in the back is uh, your dad's. Yeah, my father's a sculptor, um, and. Um, and uh, he makes, um, it, it, he's not creating right now, like it's, it's uh, very frail, but uh, he created a, a beautiful um, collection of uh, bronze uh, sculptures. And I'm actually running his business now as part of my other things that I do. So <laughs> I teach singing, I sing sometimes, and I do run his uh art business as well. So uh, that's for another interview. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that that's amazing. And um, what you were saying, it, it really resonated that it's um, to see that as your father was supporting you in that way at that early age and that level of trust um, and, and faith in his presence, uh, that's an excellent example to to develop and mirror that in the future for as you grow up. Yeah. And as uh, I think that, yeah, we'll later we'll go into it probably more, but, but, um, it, this is the things that I adopted as a teacher as well, as, uh, knowing that I'll be there for my students, I'll be there for them. And, um, I think when you, um, when you experience it on yourself and the effect of that trust and being trustworthy for people, uh, it's very powerful. It's very powerful to be able to provide that for other people and, um, and to create this a surrounding and, um, 
that people feel safe to, um, you know, they trust you. So that it's so easy to grow when there's a lot of trust around. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, maybe as you were saying, it's it's easy to dismiss sometimes. But in in my own life, in any kind of uh, skill or thing that you learn, in hindsight, I I can see if there was the necessary support and love. Uh, which really provides the container for expression and doing experiments and making mistakes. It could just um, it could just increase our capacity to learn and success much higher. As a matter of fact, I think many students um, they just drop out. We don't complete our journeys because of that lack of uh, lack of safety. You know, I will say something about choosing singing um, as as a life. You know, like um, a, um, I think that I meet students or older students, I'd say, and I, I work a lot with the amateur, I would say, uh, or people love singing in the age of 50 and more. And I hear, you know, them saying a story, you know, it's a story that repeats itself a lot in my studio that they wanted to make something with the singing and they were hoping that they will go and study it professionally. You know, they'll do it. Um, and their parents would tell them it's not a profession. Find yourself as a profession, become a lawyer, engineer, you know, um, computer, um, a engineer, whatever. But don't choose singing because there's no money in it. And uh, and a lot of people, um, you know, they missed out opportunities in the very early age. Something, it's very hard to catch up when you're 50 or 40. They have family, children or whatever. And uh, it's uh, singing, it's it's very hard to make it as a profession when you're much older. So, um, and they tell me, wow, we, we so um, envy or I don't know, of, of your choice. And I, and I tell them that it wasn't an easy choice. It's like, uh, but I had my, my parents um, backing me up, you know, supporting me for many years as well, to go after my dreams, to fulfill these dreams and to become artist because my father was an artist. <laughs> you could tell that art is very important. And if he would chop my wings, I would not be happy, you know. Uh, so I'll become a doctor or become something that I could, I could do a lot of great things. But I didn't choose them. <laughs> yeah, no, so. this is great. Uh, and it's it's very heartwarming, actually. It's, it's a good comparison because I, I have a background, you know, I'm coming from India and we have a very strong template, become a doctor and engineer. That's what parents want, the Indian parents want. And uh, usually that's that's what happens. People, you know, I had friends who either became doctors or who became engineers. And you have to be really rebellious to pick a third option. You know, I want to be an actor or a, or a musician uh, as a profession. So in any case, yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. I had a friend, um, I think he was an artist from, from India in London when I lived in London. So I looked at him and I said to him, how did we both manage a Jewish woman and an Indian boy to become artists in a culture that asks us to be doctors and engineers? You know, we're very similar at this. <laughs> So it's funny, like, uh, I, I, 
I'm very, I'm very, I feel like very uh, privileged to, to be, to choose what I wanted to do for living and to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, excellent. It's, uh, I, so I, I had a couple of questions that came to me. One was, of course, something that you already mentioned that your dad being, being an artist and seems like he, he has taken that to his later years. Um, in an earlier conversation before the podcast, you were mentioning how he started his sculpting, uh, things much later in life. But I, I was wondering, was that very clear from the early age that your father um, and, and your parents wanted to support art? Was it a very strong presence in in your house? Yeah, well, I lived, um, a, you know, I breathed art, you know, since I was a kid. I saw my father sculpting and uh, the whole house was full of his art. And also frustration, not just art, because he had very difficult years. He immigrated from Egypt to Israel. It, it was difficult for me, a lot, a lot of culture shocks to overcome. And, um, and art was spoken in the family and it was, we lived it. And, uh, and then we moved to an artist village. So my neighbors were artists. There were workshops around me. I saw painters and poets and dancers and, I lived that for so many years and the children around me were also very creative. Some of them are very talented artists uh, nowadays and they continued, you know, I think when you have that kind of creativity around you, surrounding, uh, and the family and the, um, you know, in my case, it was a village, um, supporting it, then, um, then of course art was was um was part of our livelihood so so uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh weird or strange to become an artist you know like um so if that if that's what you meant yeah so, absolutely yeah and uh, and thank you for touching on that because one of the things when i heard you mentioned uh that you had moved your family had moved to an artist village I wanted to ask you if that had any impact on you, especially in those those earlier years. And it seems like that it did have an impact and you were able to really be steeped into uh, seeing how an artist collective actually functions, as you were saying, workshops and how they make a, a livelihood. Yeah. Uh, I think it, that uh, an artist village had his, um, there's not so many artist village in the world and not for nothing, I think to get a lot of artists living together, um, there's a lot of ego <laughs> and, uh, uh, sharing is not the best thing, you know? Um, and I found, I also discovered, you know, the problematics, you know, the problems about living together with artists and, um, in. I remember that I asked my parents, can we actually move to another place? Because I didn't like so much the environment. Uh, but then I, I also um, had, you know, I love my friends and I love the surrounding and the view. I mean, it's absolutely breathtaking view. I know we live on the Carmel Mountains overlooking the Mediterranean with the valley and really beautiful place. So that was part of it as well. I, I would say that there was a sense of freedom or free spirit like life. Um, and, and I think that that helps to cultivate an artist, obviously. 
Um, I would say that I remember myself, I, I wrote a lot of poems, you know, and I, and my father, even from a very early age, my father used to write them for me because I didn't know how to write at the age of four or so. And I had a whole book of, of, of poems that I wrote in that age, very naive, obviously. And then later on, I wrote, uh, I continued to write poems. And I also published a few songs and I wrote my own music and, you know, composed them. But then when singing, a uh, serious singing, opera singer came in, I just sort of like put that writing art on the side and cleared the way for singing. I, I, I'm still kind of puzzled by that, uh, how I didn't really continue to write poems and I dedicated myself to one sort of art, kind of art. I felt it should be, it, it sort of um, called me to be total, you know, to, to give all of myself to one, to one format, you know, to concentrate on one thing. And, uh, and I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it because I put a lot of um, learning and and hours and hours of practicing to become an opera singer. Um, and I, I thought that the profession is, um, you know, demanding. It's very demanding and you need to, you need to practice. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I wanted to, uh, you said a couple of amazing things. Um, so yeah, the, the, as you were saying, there are very many artist villages it's it's not like you find an artist village uh just like that and um you know i'm coming to the voice at a much later age as you were saying some of your students are coming in at the age of 50 and uh, uh one of the things in the last few years as i've actually jumped into music was actually a, a trajectory towards the arts so see i didn't have it's it's great for me to hear that because growing up i feel like i didn't have that particularly the art village and an artist family. So it seems like a lot of trajectory of my life has been bringing me here. And some of those elements, I had to just sense that those were important and to create them, uh, meaning that starting to hang out in art collectives or places where artists gather. And in hindsight, this is becoming clearer to me, but I, uh, of course, when I was doing that, it was fig figuring out pieces of a puzzle. And uh, also observing artists as to how they live uh, their life. And one of the things, this has only been in the last three, four years, but I started to see a template because I spent a lot of time with entrepreneurs, but there was a, there was a parallel uh, between artists and entrepreneurs because I saw most of them, uh, oftentimes younger artists struggling, trying to find their way, uh, having a very strong love, love for their art um, and trying to find how to make a living through the art as well and not giving the art up. Uh, but also there was something very magnetic being surrounded, surrounding with artists and in collectives where they were expressing their creativity. And um, I say that because slowly I noticed that over a couple of years uh, from seeing performances and being steeped uh, along with the friends who were artists, the desire started to come, okay, now I have to spread my wings and actually try to become an artist it was it was not articulated in that way but i feel like i would never have had the desire to uh, start 
an artistic path uh, until I was exposed uh, to a lot of artists. You know, but most people I know didn't live in a village, an artist village, or opera singers were, you know, came from families that had no, nothing to do with classical music um, or played an instrument. And, um, and people have different backgrounds and they discover art and music in different stages in their lives. And could be sheer luck. Uh, you went to a concert and you were enlightened by a musician and you say, oh, I have to play this instrument. I love that harp or the saxophone or I, I must play jazz or, you know, it happens to people. They get, it's like a disease. It's like they're being kind of like, um, they, they feel attraction that they can't even explain. And it can come in different ages. You know, it's not just in the age of eight when you decide you want to be a pianist. Most children have no idea what they want to do. And the parents tell them, you learn an instrument and you practice the piano. And they say, okay, I have to do that. And especially with singing, very few children start very early. I don't really work with very young children. Um, because I think that they should sing in a choir or sing in wherever they want, but it takes some maturity to sing, you know, and even more maturity than to play an instrument because the instrument is in the body and the body grows and changes and develops with the years. So an instrument of an eight years old child is not an instrument of a 12 years old child or 20. and uh, and the instrument changes and grow with us. And the hormones changes, uh, the whole, uh, you know, atmosphere there. And uh, things happen. I do believe in music education. And I think it should start in a very early age. That's great. But it's never too late for singing. And it's never too late for music education. And uh, if you explore that, when you discover that and you decided to do to do the stages you need to do, which like hanging around artists, understanding how they live, um, uh, what are their habits or what are they attracted to? What do they eat? What do they drink? You know, you know, all kinds of things you want to learn from artists is uh, you came to it when you were ready for this. You probably were not ready when you were 12 or 13. You had different lives. And you brought your maturity and wisdom into what it is right now and, uh, or a few years ago. And, and that was the right time for you to start singing. And, uh, that's what I, I believe anyway. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's, there, there are very many subtle elements and it's another cliche is, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, uh, and I've, I've started to trust that process that when when we're really asking for something and when we're ready, then the various elements start to conspire, show up in our life. So, um, since you actually, you said something very interesting, you said that you, um, had decided at one point to take away, as you were speaking about your poetry, that you put it on the side and, uh, just focused on the opera, um, for perhaps a long time. And is this something that 
you also advise to your, your students? Was this a conscious decision that you made? Um, I tell you, I think that um, artists go through phases in their lives. And um, supposedly, if I was a sculptor or a painter, I would have times where I discovered certain material or canvas, or I want to paint a wood, I want to paint, I don't know, abstract, or I want to paint uh, a flowers or whatever. And artists do have the right to change their mind. They go through periods. If you go to every big name of artists in the world, they had their periods and they change and they learned and they were influenced by the culture after the war, before the war, you know, all kinds of things. And when you are a singer or a classical singer, um, you are, you have your canvas, you know, metaphorically, if, if you go with the metaphor of, of an artist and you have your canvas and you have your materials. And for a certain time, if you want to develop to click in that kind of, of um, genre, you need to spend time to learn it, how to work, how to do it. You know, in, in singing, when you develop a classical mechanism or classical singing technique, it takes time. It takes time. It's to do with uh, teaching, educating your muscles and teaching them like sort of kind of like exercise that become their muscle memory, you know, and you develop it like an athlete. You know, an athlete will develop muscles and they, these muscles will serve him in that particular uh, field of sport that he chooses to do. But if you ask it to change the field and become, I don't know, a footballer becomes a, a runner it's a, or a swimmer, it's completely different setting, you know, like you, it's the same muscles, but they do completely different functions. So they need to relearn. Maybe it's easier for an athlete to do this, the transform, the, you know, to, to transit from one uh, area of sport to the other uh, compared to a non-sportific uh, uh, person. But still, they need to re-educate the muscles. So when I choose or when I chose to become an opera singer, in the background, I wanted to be a jazz singer. I want to do pop singing. I learned, I was, you know, brought up in the, uh, I grew up in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. There were great music out there. Contemporary music was wonderful. I wanted to be, you know, I can drop names, you know, but I loved Carole King. I liked, you know, I liked uh, uh, Johnny Mitchell. I, I loved the singers very much. I still do. You know, I appreciate that they were my inspiration and they, but I needed to be on one track at that time because if I would just go all over the place, I would not be able to develop that technique for what I wanted to do. And uh, I must say that later on in life, when this technique was established, I was ready to move to other techniques. And I do suggest that to my students, you know, um, learn something, invest your time in something, you know, one thing, you know, at least for a period, and then decide if you want to move to the next uh, genre or a style of music 
and especially when you're a child, it, I don't know, some people would contradict me and there are places where they say, you can teach everything at the same time. I, my experience says that it's very confusing. There's a different technique to each style and um, it's best to, to concentrate for a few years in one and then move to another. And then you can combine them. I can sing both things because my instrument is flexible enough to move from one technique to the other technique. If I want to, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm also relating with this or beginning to, at least in my own experience, starting to understand this, that how important this is in, uh, in my own vocal training to really focus on one thing and just receive the lessons and, and build, build the foundation. So this idea of having a solid foundation is starting to uh, assimilate, but it's taken a while because it also seems like it's such a vast, uh, vast field. And particularly in music, the uh, ability to listen, for example, um, it's, it's so many countless hours and dedication to to build that, and it seems later perhaps one could apply that to many genres, uh, yeah. but in the beginning that foundation has to be has to be really de developed. But that being said, it just seems like some, for some people it's easier uh, than than others. At least in terms of listening, I find that that is a skill that's taking me a lot of effort to develop. But some people just have that. To what? To the, to, uh, listen. to 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 listen to different tones and have the perfect pitch and. Um, all that stuff. Um, okay, but I mean, again, it's uh, education and you can educate yourself and you can do a lot of things by yourself. Um, I find that a, a lovely, lovely young teacher from New York, uh, name is uh, Justin Stoney, uh, is somebody I was, um, I started, you know, in my uh, in late 40s, at all beginning of my 50s, I decided that I want to study with him. You know, I'm an opera singer and I go and study with a contemporary teacher, a young man. And it's kind of so funny, you know, too, because my teacher used to be like old ladies from Russia. I'm, <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm going to this young, funky American guy. But he said to me something that about singing and about style of music. And he said that style is caught, not taught, you know. I'm not sure if it's his sentence, but he told me that, and I'm just like quoting that, which is great. You know, when somebody wants to learn jazz, I say to him, come on, have this playlist. I send him a playlist of singers, great singers, great standards. Go, go listen, 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 listen to music because you, it, you, we're like sponges, you know, we, we observe, we listen and we, we digest it. We need to listen to a lot of music. And I think that uh, a musician can learn so much by just listening. You know, your, your musicianship skills can develop by just listening to music. You can develop rhythm, you can develop harmony, you can develop uh, sense and taste and style, you know. and for instance, when you learn jazz and jazz, part of jazz is, is improvisation, yeah? It's where you, there are rules. You don't improvise just because, you know, you like the music. 
there are rules if you want to make it really good and interesting. And that's things that you learn. You learn in university, you learn before university. And there are strict rules. They're working on, upon harmony and rhythm and style. But a lot of it, you know, before you even start learning the basics of improvisation, I said to my students, go listen, go to concerts, go to shows and listen to a lot of music. And a lot of it will be caught. You don't have no idea how it's going to happen, but trust you, yourself, you know, that it will happen. It's not enough, of course, but it's, you know, we, if you, if you're thinking of learning music, I'd say that you, um, you need to divide your time by sort of learning, learning the music, the skills, the rhythm, the melodies, the harmony, the practice on an instrument, whatever it needs. Uh, for singers, it's the technique, of course, and, and, uh, and the body posture, breathing and all this, this, and the projection of the sound. But I'd say that at least 30% of the time, listen to music, if not more. Depends on what stage of, of learning you are in. Yes, thank you. I think that I'll, I'll take that 30% to heart because, uh, yeah, this is, this is what I'm learning from my teachers as well. This is the missing piece for me because uh, I've been paying attention to all those aspects that you said, you know, the technique, the rhythm, and um, it's, it's not really delivering the results that it should. And then in a way it makes it easy for me is that, oh, you know, you have to, as you said very nicely, it has to be caught and not taught. Uh, so to me, actually, this aspect sounds a little bit like the mysteries uh, hanging out with the teacher and, you know, just like we're having this conversation with you here, I'm really absorbing so much. And, uh, it's, it's really, really great to be able to, to hear that. And these are the, I don't know, like the hidden, hidden ways to learn in a way. Yeah. I'd say that, uh, for that, I maybe would explain that is when you listen to music, you're, you're actually listening to the flow of the music, the flow of the notes. And there is something very, um, I'd say even, uh, um, there's magic in it as well. When you learn music, you learn it like, um, very slowly. You need to analyze it. You need to break it into segments. Uh, you practice on it and then it's, when it's out of context, it can become very boring as well and very frustrating. But when you go to, a, if you listen to an album, you listen to a concert or live concert, you're in the flow. So music is easy. You know, it's, you can understand what it could be, you mm. know? So I think it's really important to have that beside that. So not just to be working on my music very slowly and until it goes in and I have to do all my exercises. That's very tiring. And listen to music um, is just give you the context of what is it for? Why do I do that for, you know? Oh, yes, to feel like that on stage and to feel free and to have this communication with the audience. And even if it's not for stage, if you do it just for yourself, but um, with Thrive, we want to actually experience a thing or the freedom of what is to sing without worries, sing not worrying about your technique, be free of all the rules and everything. 
And that's what you experience when you listen to music. You see that you, you, you fall in love with the freedom and the joy of the artist. I think that's, that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is really wonderful. It really resonates to catching the, the joy of the artist and that it almost seems like it's a, it's a transmission almost, mm -hmm. but if you, if you're open to it, you can, you can receive it. And uh, you highlighted the, the context in which the music is heard. And I'm, I'm also starting to sense this more recently as a hidden, uh, hidden technique or a hidden secret that the context makes the absorption of the teaching a lot easier. If you're in the right environment with the right teacher and the right audience, um, it can just completely make you free to, to absorb the information uh, even less cerebrally, but more more at the felt level. You know, when I talk about that, it brings me into. Sometimes I, I think that I am able to create the best condition for somebody to grow. I mean, that's my wish. That's what I aspire for, to become the space to provide the space for people to grow, but. Not everybody is ready for that. And I find that some people come to me and they just want me to criticize them. They're waiting for, you know, tell me how bad I am. Okay. And this is a pattern. It's a pattern of behavior. They bring it from home and the relationship with the parents and teachers, other teachers in their lives. And they expect me to tell them off. And they, they finish singing and they look at me and or sometimes they look at me when they sing. They're not in the singing. They're just looking to get some kind of, of approval for me. And if I'm not expressing an approval or so, they understand that something is wrong, you know? So I, I, I just, I just coming to this that sometimes I, as a teacher, I need to break patterns of listening, of being there for people because they, some students or over the years, there were a lot of students who would want me to keep on, you know, to maintain that chain of patterns throughout their lives. And um, when I didn't say the bad things or the criticizer, or I, I wasn't really feedbacking them, you know, with, with, oh, that was bad. That was bad. They would think that I'm not good enough, you know? And so it, it's funny because if my learning, my, I think as a mature teacher, I, I'm learning, I'm sussing the balance all the time between complimenting, encouraging, inspiring, and giving feedback that is completely authentic, honest, and realistic, and something that you can learn from. And, and I changed my phases in, in life. I was a pleaser. I wanted everybody to like me. And, um, and so I was a teacher that, you know, would smile a lot and I still smile, you know, but I, but in this, I mean, I could also say very, very, um, direct things, very honest things, and things people need to listen, I think. And 
And in my experience as a singer, I went through some really, let's say, devastating, I'd say, experiences with teachers that put me down. I think every singing singer will tell you that, you know, we always had some divas or teachers that would say something that will completely shut us and close us and make us feel humiliated even and uh, not, not, not good enough or bad, I'd say. You know, I heard horrible things from people and I heard wonderful things as well. So if I only heard bad things all throughout my career, I would not become a singer. We, we do depend on feedback. I don't know if it's approval, but we need to know that what we do does transform, that does go, that communicates. Yeah, absolutely. There's some very, very uh, deep themes here. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, you had earlier said that the voice is an instrument, uh, perhaps more difficult or more primary than other instruments? Um, first of all, I mean, every other instrument is made of material. Some kind of material could be wood, metal, strings, uh, you know, a lot of instruments, I mean, uh, in the world, some are very, very sophisticated, some are a little bit more primal and primitive or even a whistle is an instrument, you know, like everything. And a singer has, I'd say I would divide it. And I say that to my students as well. We have the voice as like, I would call it the voice mechanism. Yeah. The whole apparatus, the whole thing that is in our throat. Yeah. And I'd say it's just an instrument. It's an instrument. But it wasn't really meant to, you know, serve us as, you know, in singing. You know, we were very close to the swallowing mechanism mechanism and the breathing mechanism. Yeah. So singing is a, is a more modern invention. It's been, you know, for thousands, thousands, thousands of years. But first of all, we have an organ that can make Noise can communicate. Yeah, you can do a lot of, you can growl, you can yawn, you can cough, you can laugh, you can cry, you can roar, you can do a lot of oh, 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 all kinds of sounds you can make. And, and they're very primal and I love primal sounds. It's very good to uh, free the people before they start singing. If they're not, us, they're not so precious about that. Because the voice is not just meant for singing. It's meant for everything that creates a sound. Yeah. So, uh, so if we put aside the fact that we are singing with the voice, that instrument is serving the voice, the singing, it actually could do a lot of other things. I can call you from the other side of the road and say, Hey, hi, woo. I can, I can do a lot of things with my voice. Yeah. Uh, and it's good to, to be, to connect to it. And when you take a guitar, the first thing you think of is, you know, uh, playing the guitar. You don't think I'm going to pluck the, the strings out or I'm going to 
drowning. Yeah, maybe you could use it for effects, but the guitar is meant for playing, yeah? You don't go shopping with it. It's not a carrier bag. It's, you know, it's an instrument. And our voice is within us in every situation in life. We can't put it in a little box and go to a noisy bar or to a party. And uh, we can't take it out when we go swimming or we are eating. It's with us all the time. And it's very precious. And, uh, and uh, so I mean like the instrument is within us. And the instrument is not just the vocal mechanism. It's also the breathing and all the all the muscles that support the, the, the vocal mechanism. And of course, all the resonances. So all the spaces and cavities of the mouth and the nose and that create the sound and where the sound is bouncing and we have sound comes out. So it's, um, I hope I didn't complicate it too much. No, no, no. This is, uh, this is great. And you know, the, these are, these are subjects which could be uh, parts or, you know, for many conversations, not just one. But uh, even for our listeners, I think people who are interested in, in voice development, and we're also going to talk about some other aspects to do with voice. As you said, it's a, it's a very primal instrument and it's very close to us, perhaps the closest and oftentimes perhaps even taken as granted uh, because we use it all the time to express ourselves consciously and unconsciously. Um, and I think that, that in, in my own kind of being still a baby, I'm, I'm learning so much that I had taken for granted and now paying attention to the subtlety of it and all the aspects that could be developed. Many of them which are unknown, but I've become open that there is so many hidden things. Um, but you, you said a few couple of things that I just wanted to highlight and you can take it in any direction you like. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that caught my attention was you were saying about all the various ways in which we use our voice um, and necessarily not to sing. Uh, one genre, if I could call it, of music that has um, is very primal and I really enjoy it is Native American music here in the United States. And one of the things that I think of is, is the primalness of it. And a lot of them could be, could be a battle cry or the sound of a bird or sound of another animal, and really, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, but one of the things that really takes me to that primal feeling and connection with nature just by hearing it. Um, and I, when I practice music, I often think of, uh, think of those sounds. Now I'm becoming more attuned to the sounds of nature and birds and animals, and just seeing if how, what if I actually replicated it. It seems like an orchestra going on everywhere in nature, you know? Um, so I was wondering if you had any, any insights of particularly that kind of tradition or civilization where they were so much in harmony with nature and these, uh, call and response perhaps between nature and, and humans. Well, I didn't really explore it uh, so much cause, um, I'm, you know, and I obviously don't know so much. I'm not an expert on these kind of um, traditions and cultures. But what I assume is that um, in my studio or in everywhere in my workshops, although I I work a lot with um, with uh, animal 
kind of like calling and, uh, and if somebody is not used to it, but you know, the peacock, where you go, you know, they'll kind of thing. And then you have that owl. Each one of them is actually, um, a voice projection, a voice quality. Yeah. That we can use in blues, in gospel, in, uh, in, and, um, you know, each one is actually related to a technique. Now I'm really simplifying it, of course, because people can relate. If I ask somebody to do a high note and say, well, how can I do that? I can't do, I can't do that. The voice is not giving there. But if you say, can you, can you imitate? an owl or, you know, any kind of bird, night bird, and say, just do, um, ooh, 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 ooh. and then that ooh become, ooh. yeah, the sound. It's so much easier to take it from a natural or nature sound into um, music than just to imitate a note that a teacher did, you know, or from taking it from a piano or, or an instrument or standard, you know, instrument. So I, I'm not really answering your question, but I am taking it into, you said you gave me the permission to take it everywhere I want. So I'd say that I believe that when you are attached to primal sounds, to nature, um, to your nature, you know, and you, you can discover a lot about your voice from there. So, because we all tuned, we know how things sound like, you know, we, we can imitate an animal. We can even, well, if we lived close to these animals, of course, um, but we heard them. So I believe that, um, it, it, it probably, Although Western music went so far away from this primal sounds, in the teaching process, there is a good chance that you, you, you work with this, uh, um, in, you know, it's like you quote a little bit from nature here and there. There's a lot of music, a lot of singing specifically that reminds animals or anything. So it's, it's good to go back there. It's good to, I don't know if it's back, but to go there and to explore and to feel free and to feel, and to feel this is my nature, you know, I'm, um, I'm also some kind of uh, animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know, um, as I say, like, um, I only went and explored my tradition, my culture, and not that far away. You know, I come from a Jewish tradition, Jewish music. And um, when I looked into it, um, I realized how, I'd say, um, how music that comes from, you know, from, from the village, from the village life, you know, uh, back in Poland or back in Egypt or back in Morocco, whatever it's been influenced by daily life, by animals, by sounds and noises and things that were um, that were present then, okay, and were very close to the heart and to the feeling, to the emotion, you know, like, and uh, and and yes, we are a little bit detached from this basic emotions from time to time when we sing songs, 
And when I work with people on a Western pop song or music theater or jazz, then I can actually reduce it sometimes to the emotion that stands behind that, behind its phrase, behind its music. And it comes to basics. We all connect back to the basics and they're the same everywhere, in every culture, every area in the world. I think we, we in this specific thing, we are the same. So, um, so it's easy for me to do my workshops everywhere in the world because people are people and feelings are feelings. Animals are animals. So it's easy to do that. Lovely, lovely. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you for, uh, I think you were sharing some diamonds. And uh, yeah, especially when you were making, making those, uh, those sounds of the, the owl and the peacock. Just uh, ask, just ask. Enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll I, I was just getting into that. You know, I just felt like <laughs> maybe we should do that for the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so the hit maybe that I'm, I'm getting for you, maybe this is what I need is uh, maybe to explore that. Cause it seems like, as you were saying, I think you said something about, um, I don't know what was the word you used, but that, there is a translation of the that sound of the owl when you were doing is that that you could actually carry that as a note mm-hmm. uh, into into the music. Yes. Or if I, you know, when I worked with the peacock sound, um, it reminds very much a sound that called twang. Yeah, American use. You know, you probably live in America. In different areas, you have a lot of twang. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when you go into the peacock, Israeli person or child doesn't know anything about twang. You know, they don't, we don't have it in the language. We have a very kind of uh, throaty language, which have, uh, and, and we don't have that sound. Yeah. Which American and Italian have it very uh, strongly. So for me, if I teach an Israeli student to sing uh, music theater, like Broadway song so, I need to teach them that kind of sound and how to do it. So if I try to say, put your tongue up, do this and open your lips, it's, it's just, these are mechanical things. They may not get it. But if I imitate, um, if I give them an example of, an, of, a, of, a, of a peacock and go, you know, sorry about the noise, but so I, I showed them how that could be, oh yeah, that sound, you know, it start to work, you know, like you, you start, you think it's a baby cry or there's a lot of, quack, quack, quack. I told you I have a, a huge repertoire of noises. You know, it's also funny because uh, you, you said baby cry and when you were making that sound, that's. You know, all kinds of babies, yeah. And yeah. there's a cat. Meow, meow. It could be a, a, a baby cat and it could be a mature cat when it's really angry. Meow. And, and it could be meow. You know, this, oh God, there's a lot of noises. But what I'm saying that people can relate to it because they know it. But if I tell them, listen to the Broadway singer and hear how she does that, that doesn't mean anything. You know, it's not in my culture. It's not in my language. It's not my... Um, literature, it's not in my repertoire, but animals are. So that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, amazing. This earlier, when you were saying about 
psychology and therapy, I think I'm we're going back uh, at full circle. Like I can see um, how you have insights from because you've looked at voice for such a long time. So um, yes, so, so deep, so so many deep topics here. I just wanted to quickly say that I think you have touched about not with this depth but a number of these topics, especially from the point of learning in your book. So I just wanted to kind of put it there for, for the listeners and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes if they're interested in looking at the book. Um, another thing that came to me is that in particular in Indian music, Indian classical vocal music, which is what I'm learning, uh, it is the voice is considered as the first instruments so no matter what instrument string instrument like sitar or guitar or other instruments that you learn you always traditionally in the classics you start with the voice so that that is also interesting that in in that particular tradition voice is regarded as the primary instrument um, and that's a must for anybody who starts their journey in classical classical music to sing to yes sing, to sing yeah um yeah sorry continue no, no, that I, I was just going to say that, that that came out as a parallel. That right. uh, what, what I'm learning is that they have this immense emphasis. No matter what kind of music you play, voice has to be a recognition of voice. Has to, cultivation has to be there. I think it's also. I mean, I I know that the voice science has been sort of like researching it more and more. Uh, but um, you know, usually when somebody playing an instrument. They say, sing it, you know, sing your improvisation, sing it before you play, sing it with your play. And for that, that's an instruction that you get in many um, instrumentalists uh, study. But you go also the other way around. When you sing, sometimes you ask a singer, think of a cello, think of, uh, you know, the way you slide, the glide, uh, on, on the cello, you know, the string uh, with the bow or so like this. So you have it, um, you think of your voice as an instrument, instrument, yeah? So it's, I always said it's so funny, the instrumentists want to sing and the singers wants to play. So uh, an instrument, but it's one unit, it's one thing. And I believe that I always suggest or say recommend singers to play an instrument to play another instrument because it's another track. It's another channel that uh, we can develop. And of course, people play and, and accompany themselves. Um, and which is wonderful if it's uh, anything to do with harmony and can support the singing. Um, and yes, yes, of course. And of course, it's very immediate. You know, when you sing, um, it's the first thing you do. And then, you know, every... Music, music learning and education at the young age start from singing. That comes the instrument, you know, could start from a very early age. And, uh, yeah, there, um, perhaps this is a topic for a later conversation, but I was just going to say that in, in Indian classical music, the voice has this, because you were talking about harmony, has these accompanying instruments, one of them being the tanpura, which is like a stringed instrument uh, with no frets. Um, and it's just a drone instrument producing uh, microtones in, in the octaves. And it you basically use to use it as a background. So you have the notes available, perhaps in the subconscious as well. And then you have the harmonium, which is a French instrument, like a, like a keyboard, 
like pumped with one hand with the with the air. And uh, but anyways, yeah, those those two are considered company instruments are are very necessary. One of the the string instrument being a little harder, you need to have a more higher capacity to listen uh, to the notes to to match them with your own um, own system. So, anyways, I found that interesting that you mentioned that, which is very important in Indian classical vocal music. Can I do a little twist in the interview? Yes. And tell you, ask you as a teacher, <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what would be the, say, the thing that you would really want to be able to do with your voice? Or what, what kind of thing you think you're missing or you want to achieve? And that if I had that, <laughs> it's a trick question. Um, the one thing, um, well, maybe maybe I can make it a little easy and uh, just say a few, uh, a couple of things. Um, for me, it's 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 become more about expression of expressing myself authentically and with with confidence, um, and. Uh, at least that's the one thing that I feel like is developing and is maturing as I'm experiencing the notes is kind of magical that it is actually translating into my communication and way of being in the world. Uh, but also developing this subtle um, ability to to hear from other people what is really being communicated in terms of harmony and feeling. So I, there was one thing I would say it would be the refinement of, uh, of feeling. I really want to know how to harmonize, you know, uh, my way through life in a better way. Um, but for that, it requires for me to, to hear that harmony. So I don't know if it's too philosophical because that's my bent of mind, but that's really the changes I'm seeing over a certain long period of time in myself. And, uh, but yeah, it also translates in hitting hitting the notes and being able to sing would be another one. This is something I don't feel I'm comfortable at right now to put all the pieces I'm learning together. So that would be another, it's like I wait for the day when they, they click and I can actually perform. That's lovely. I think that if you would come into um, the studio and, and I'll ask you this question, and of course, I hear you singing. And uh, if you would be in the field, you know that I'm expert in. You know, I don't know anything about your music. <laughs> not, I know about singing, but not about all the musics in the world. Um, but I'd say that you, the best is to, in a way, it becomes to me that you are expecting too much. You know, yeah. and I'd say that. What do you mean too much is that step by step, you know, it's like we're maybe, the, uh, 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 yes, we all want to communicate and make sure that we make a difference and maybe people getting uh, moved and touched by our gift, you know, something like that. You know, we want to know that when, that it's going anywhere, it's going somewhere, somebody you know, somebody felt something, you know, that it's a heart-to-heart -heart kind of thing. But the thing is that between us and the audience or the people we sing to is a lot to do with um, 
with our own, I, I'd, I'd say something obnoxious the first time I say it ever, is that how we respond to our own resonance, you know, not so much what we're doing outside and how do we, uh, how much do we really know ourselves and how much are we in touch with the body and with the sound we make before we're trying to make an impact on the world or the listener or whatever, yeah? So I, in, in a way, when, when, I'm, when my students will come and say, oh, if I would say, I really want to move people. I mean, this is really simple way of saying what you said. I want to make sure that they hear me singing and they feel amazing or they're inspired and they think life is great. Oh, yes, they can understand the suffering. It's good. Yeah, this thing. Is that it's too much outside of you, you know? I said, that will happen if this will happen, you know, the inside. You know, the, the communication and the feeling and everything is something that will happen when you are sorted, if you know what I mean, when your voice is sorted, when you feel safe inside inside, in your own instrument, in your own body. And what I see, I mean, this is like when I see about you just in the hour or so that we've been speaking and before, is that you have a tremendous um, ability of listening. And I think this is the greatest traits that, that um, a singer could have, you know, musician. You have an ability, a very wide ability of, of listening, which is amazing. And there's a lot of space and quietness. So I wish I had it, you know, when I started singing. I had a lot of noise in my head, a lot of noise. And, um, and, and I don't, I've never heard you singing, you know. I've never heard you singing, but I imagine that what will come out of you would 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 be that would be that would be that um tranquility or with power with a kind of very you know powerful tranquility that's what it's going to be <laughs> but i'm imagining so uh, <laughs> oh, that's yes. so so very kind of you and i really appreciate it coming from uh someone like you as i said i i feel like a little child. I, I love to call myself that way because I feel like it's such a, such a long journey. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. And, and I, I hope we'll, we'll get a, get a chance. I mean, I'm getting really excited and I can uh, really see <laughs> why, why people gravitate towards uh, the space that you create. So thank you for that. I mean, the, we, we could go for hours and hours and I know that um, we can always re return back because these themes are really really so deep because when I started talking to you, I wasn't sure um, how to kind of navigate this, but it's, it's kind of becoming obvious because you have such tremendous depth. Because I was like, oh, you know, voice, how deep can we go into exploring what that is? And yeah. I was a little hesitant because I didn't want to get all too deep, but you have you just opened up so many, um, so many different chapters. Um, one of the things that maybe I ask, because a lot of the topics that we've talked are, I think, very valuable for people who are uh, trying to enter into, into the voice and um, also not just for singing, but for other purposes as well. 
but one of the things that comes to me is you had mentioned that there is a commitment to learning and the duration. So the, this element of duration. And I wanted to just check, check with you if you had any comments on that. And again, take it any which way you like. Um, I am personally beginning to digest that as a news student, that this perhaps is a lifelong commitment. And it took me a little time to adjust, uh, not to have any immediate expectations. As a matter of fact, because I start, I'm starting at almost in my, in my 40 is that I, I'm having, trying to have no expectation, just completely relax and let the voice surprise me and the learning surprise me with the, with the gifts. Um, so anyways, yeah, that was a tangent from when I, when I started to, it's like it's for two years or four years. And now I'm like, don't even worry about that. Cause this is, um, an ongoing transformation. So if you had any thoughts on the duration of learning. Yeah. It's a great question, and I've been asked that a lot. Ruti, when do you think, how many lessons do you think I'm going to have before I become a singer? <laughs> uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very realistic, you know, because um, in life now we are measuring everything and we say 10 lessons, you become this and this. And thing that, you know, when they ask me to tell me how many lessons... Uh, it will take. Okay, so first of all, I do think that um, that it takes few years just to get into working on your voice, teaching your voice to do what you want. And, and it depends on what age. Yeah, if you're a child, it takes longer um, because you grow as you sing, but then you catch things much faster, you know, as you know. But, um, and I think that it depends on the, on the style of singing and the musicianship that's needed for it. For pop singing or like any pop that goes on now or what is, you don't need to know so much about music to be able to, I don't people, I don't think learned one day in their lives and they make, they make a wonderful career. Um, yeah, the talent and they just imitate, uh, people before them, good singers, and they found it in themselves very easily. So they are the lucky ones. Fantastic. But if the more uh, sophisticated your genre is, the more they're to learn about notes and music. And, you know, for instance, if I needed to learn your music, that would be completely different for me. And I have no idea how long it would take me to do that. Because I didn't hear it in my ear, in my child's ear, you know, when I was young. So, and I'm not living in that kind of uh, environment. So that will take me ages to learn, if at all, yeah. But if you live within the culture of what you study, you can absorb a lot of it just by, said I said, listening. So I don't know how in your environment you're exposed to the music you're studying right now. But uh, it's not learning the language. Yeah, you learn the language. You go to France and if you stay there for a few months, you will speak French, you know. But you need to take also lessons. Yeah, you don't just catch it from the street, you know. So, uh, again, with music, if you have that, um, you know, um, you have more people that you know, more musicians that do your music and you can share and you can listen and you can observe other lessons 
or ask a teacher, can I come to adolescent just to see adolescents with some more advanced students? Because you want to listen to advanced. You don't listen to um, more beginners than you. If you're a teacher, you do that, but you don't need to do that. You need to go and listen to more advanced, like a year advanced, two years advanced, three years advanced, just to say what to aspire to. Yeah, I think it's it's lovely to do that. Um, so I, I, I can't tell you how many years it's going to be, but if you take it as a life journey and that on the way you're going to learn so much about yourself and so much about in your uh, music in a whole and in life, as in life, you would um, you'd say, yeah, there's no end to it. I want to live with this for the rest of my life. I want music to be to be uh, present in my life and every day and everything I do. So, and even if it takes you another two years to learn your thing or maybe less and you're ready to perform, that's not the end of your learning. That's not the end of, there were so many things you would learn from performing if you would get there. I learned the most, from, you know, that I know from stage, being on stage. I was not ready when I went on stage. I wasn't a perfect singer when I went first on stage. I learned. The audience taught me. The music taught me. The other musician taught me, you know? And so, um, and I, I don't believe in, uh, I'll be perfect before I go on stage. Nope. Don't do that. <laughs> I, I believe that you should go and perform the, before you're perfect, you know? Way before, you know? And let it let it happen. It it will come. It will come. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think this is this is great insights for all budding musicians. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is the the presence of being in a culture like learning learning a language, and I think this is a theme that you have touched on a few times, uh, starting with the artist village and. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you've you've highlighted it, it a couple of times, and I, I was just wondering. Uh, to me, it seems like this is a big, uh, big part of speeding up your journey, so to speak. Not necessarily that we want to speed it up, but it's a very important component, which, um, which at least I was not aware of, and now I've become aware of that. Surrounding oneself with that is uh, is critical. Is is uh, is actually necessary to develop these skills. Yeah. And it's mysterious how they're actually absorbed uh, into our being. I don't understand what the process is, but I'm uh, submitting to be, being surrounded by amazing teachers and friends and the culture that, that kind of supports that uh, transmission of that knowledge. Absolutely. And I think um, also open yourself to listen to other music, you know, to be, I call it active listener not just passive, but I listen to it, uh, you know, when I'm cooking or this. This is one way. You know, by the way, I I find it very difficult to listen to music while I'm doing something else. I'm, I'm very rare, I know. But um, I could never, ever listen to classical music when I'm doing something else, we're cleaning the house or something like that. I need to sit or listen actively. I give all my respect and all my attention to the music. and. Um, and how do I know that music is not really something that I really want, you know, that kind of, that I can actually do something else with it. 
you know. I even don't like to drive with music. I like to drive and listen to podcasts or something like that. But music is, is sacred <laughs> for me. Most music that I like, obviously. Um, but I'm saying, I mean, I, I'm not a good example for this. I think music should just be wherever you were to, to have it. That's great. Yeah, no, actually, th thank you for, uh, for sharing that because I feel, um, that active listening, at least when you're developing the skill, I think it's important to have that attentive listening. And I also have lucky to have teachers who are emphasizing this recently, it's, uh, where, where I actually am doing what you're saying is I'm trying to hold myself from not listening to a piece I need to listen to while I'm doing other things. Absolutely. Uh, so that, that I'm kind of a little bit forced to give my attention and, uh, and see what is actually happening in the whole piece and try mm -hmm. to pick up it, that, that is very different than passively just letting the music flow through you. Yeah. Um, you know, when musicians go to concerts, they're working, you know, not, not those who perform, those who come to listen to the performance. It's so hard to be there to witness making music without you being involved. It's like either you want to be there on stage with them or instead of them, <laughs> a, and you're working, your mind is working. You listen to the scales, you listen to the way they do it. You, it's not, doesn't mean that you're not touched or moved when you know, like everybody else, but there is another level in you that is listening actively and is really rushing to get home and to find the music and do it by yourself, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember myself that every, I can't go to sleep after a concert. I just can't fall asleep. I, my mind is still thinking about it or I am, you know, I am already in the, in the space of creativity and I want to be there more and more and more. Or when I go, you know, when my husband and I are going back from a concert and Either he put the song again, you know, like, oh, you know, you will, uh, will be in the car and then we heard a, a beautiful song in a concert and then he will find it on YouTube and put it in the car. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to listen to anything. I don't want to ruin the, the experience. It's sacred for me. You know, I want to live with that. Let's be quiet, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know if you know what I mean. It's just that I, I need the time after the concert to be with what it did to me, you know, like, uh, and, uh, but that's very specific and it's just me and the way I'm built and how I like to listen to music. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it takes a certain level of refinement of our ability to perceive and, and feel, which is something I'm noticing as well, that, uh, the voice is actually a, a refinement. Mm -hmm. uh, off that feeling and to really yeah. come to know, know the palate. Um, so maybe the, the, there's one topic that we wanted to explore a little bit and, um, hopefully we have enough time because it's a very deep, deep theme. I wanted to perhaps ask you, how did your career develop? There, there's a transition point in your career where you shifted from being, um, a very successful opera singer and musician to becoming a teacher. Maybe you could walk yeah. us through that. 
but also what was the kind of the peak of your opera singing career? Were you very busy and how, how exciting was that for you? I, you know, I never thought that I have a, I had a, an amazing career because I have some friends who have really amazing career and I didn't get to that level. But I was working as an opera singer, which is a big achievement, you know, to work and not just to learn and not do anything with that. I did sing with um, the Israeli Opera House, you know, in the audience. I sang with the um, the Philharmonic Orchestra in England. I, work, I worked in, in festivals. I worked with as a leader, as a soloist at many, many, many concerts. Uh, and throughout Europe. I lived in London for many, many years and I worked there quite a lot and then in Israel as well and in America and other places in, in, in Europe. But I'd say that I didn't, and I'm, I, something stopped me from before I got to the top of what could be. I was very close. But I didn't get to the top, top of the level of the opera singing. And, um, and I think it was fear. It was definitely fear. And in some point in my life, which I was really at the, everything was like happening. And I had a gig here and, 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 you know, quite really wonderful recordings waiting for me and everything. And, and I, I had um, something in my vocal cords, like um, a burst vessel, which is like, I don't know how to say, it's like a footballer broke the leg or something like that. But the footballer would know that it will heal and it will go back to play. Okay, so it's not the end of the world. Depends on the injury, obviously. But when a singer has some kind of injury in the vocal cords, we have only two vocal cords. So one goes, what do you do? And, um, and the kind of injury that I had was very simple to amend, you know, that surgeons can do that with the eye closed, I know. But for me, it was a big, big thing and a crisis, I'd say. And as a young singer, I thought that I've lost it. That's it. Finished. No career. Nothing. No, you know, everything I worked for is just gone. And. I wish that somebody would really explain that to me, that that's not the case. That's not going to happen. You will go back and do what you need to do. I had a wonderful teacher uh, in, in Nottingham in England. Um, and she sort of believed in me very much. And she believed that I'll go through the separation and I'll come out of it. I'll be fine. And she like sort of like almost held my hand, you know, to do that. I was very far away from my parents because I lived in England and everything. And um, Michelle Waitworth, that's her name. <laughs> and she helped me a lot. And, um, and, you know, 10 days after the operation, you need to keep silence, complete sun, vipassana, you know. That's the first time I did it without knowing that I did that. And, uh, and then uh, my voice healed fantastically and I, I think it was much better. But, before the operation, I, I took some reflexology treatments because I was really scared. I was really scared. And I knew, I didn't know what's going to come. And some people did have damaged the boys by operations. You know, it's not always going very smoothly. But I'm, I was afraid of it and I took that. And 
I really love the reflexology sessions. They, this woman helped me so much and I felt so relaxed. And I think the whole thing went through so smoothly and the healing. And after that time, I said to myself, I want to learn something that will help people feeling safe. Um, and that's what I felt. I felt safe, you know, and I studied reflexology and I qualified as a reflexologist and I even worked as such for a while because I didn't go back to, to, to full, you know, a, you know, a year of working because I took it slowly and everything. And for a few years or two years, I think I was working as a reflexologist turned and entered a completely different world from singing, healing world, world. And I, I, all my colleagues became healers, you know, like all messers and, and, and the reflexologists and everything. And I was exposed to a completely different world that I didn't know existed. And, um, and, uh, that opened my heart and opened my, my wish to learn some new skills and not to become, not to depend only onto my two vocal cords. And I realized that I have other skills and I could be good in that. And talking to people, hearing them suffer, hearing their pains, relating to them, opened me up in a way that I can't even discover. And I think it was also a turning point for me as an opera singer who was going one way, like I was very focused and wanted to do it very quickly into somebody who sees other people, who listen to people, who can actually contain the pain, you know, of other people. And, uh, and I think, although I didn't do it forever, and I went back to, to, to sing in a different way and still had a lot of gigs coming in concerts, but I was in a different phase already. I was not, I didn't have that urge to conquer the world, to be everywhere. I was much more modest. I wanted to take it differently and slower. My rhythm changed completely. And I slowly, slowly drifted into teaching. I'd say drifting because it wasn't natural. I knew I was a teacher. I've learned how to teach, you know, I've become a, a um, officially, I'm a teacher, you know, I've learned to, to be a teacher. But I think the singing and the experience as a singer, plus the healer or the inside of me and the person who wants to help people shift, was be become a very, very, um, I'd say, uh, a major fact into being a successful teacher, I guess, you know. I call it successful because I attracted more and more people over the years, like hundreds, I'd say, I don't know, maybe thousands of people came to me to study because I think I had those combination of qualities. I mean, there's amazing teachers in the world, amazing singers and amazing healers, but I think the combination of it um, a, is... Um, somehow, somehow help me to attract the right people and that will come into my space and could benefit from what I've learned. And, um, 
And maybe I could summarize the whole conversation of being vulnerable, being vulnerable and allowing myself to be vulnerable. And, um, and, and singers are very vulnerable people, but they don't show it. So, <laughs> so yes. that gave me the opportunity to be completely exposed and to be, to, and then, you know, it's the best way for you. And maybe it answers your first question about how, how to communicate what you want to the world with your singing is being vulnerable but have a lot of power, you know, and confidence in what you do. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's hard not to be vulnerable when you have, when you keep expanding your capacity to feel, uh, then that's the only, only way to, way to be. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, maybe it has this mysterious connection with power because only when we have the uh, capacity to feel things fully can we actually respond? Because I think otherwise in life we are often reacting because we have this sense of confusion of what's happening in the first place. Um, so it, it's interesting that it, vulnerability and uh, our responsiveness and uh, to respond in a powerful way goes hand in hand. So it's, uh, I, I had a question for you. So when, when that big event happened, when you had this, uh, this accident, as you was mentioning as a singer, that is, that can be devastating because uh, we rely on our voice. And when you made this transition into reflexology, was that was there a conscious decision? Did you ever know that you were going to make your way back into the singing world, or do you think were you just you were just going with the flow at the time, and there wasn't much thinking involved? I I, I was just um, you know I understood that. If my vocal cords are damaged or my voice is not functioning as I wanted, then I don't have a color. You know, I was relying on that. And like one day, you're, you know, everything that you know of yourself that you can do is gone. Or you don't know how long is it going to last for. And um, nobody could tell me, you know, how fast I'll be go back to myself. But... um um, I think that I thought ahead and I said, well, I like that and I want to immerse myself into something which is totally new and very, you know, it was very different from what I did. It's not that I've decided, okay, now I will play the piano or I will, I just wanted to go as far as possible from, from, from the singing. And I think that was a good, good uh, choice because, uh, it, I was in an environment of healing. So even if I was a reflexologist and worked with people, uh, every, everybody around me was that too. And my new friend was Mary and I, was go, I would go with her to treat people and we had a little company and we could, uh, you know, go into business and do it on site. And, you know, I invented, I'm an entrepreneur, I think, and I've invented myself kind of jobs. And, and but I was, I kept on singing, Elizabeth, of course. I was trying my instrument. I believed that I would go back to singing. That was stronger than life, you know, that singing was my thing. And uh, and I just had a pause, if you know what I mean, in time. And um, I wasn't sure if I, if I would go back to reflexology. But once I started singing and it started, you know, go back and I, I just didn't do it anymore. I didn't do the reflexology anymore. 
I, it was clear for me that I'm back on track and I'm back there. That, that my, this is my path. And I, I just went to the side a little bit. I've learned what I needed to learn, but I, I, I'm a singer. <laughs> so went back to do the sing. And uh, I do suggest people to have, apart from singing, another job or another thing they can do. Because, uh, yes, it's, we're very vulnerable physically and emotionally. And the vocal cords can do, you know, things can happen. So it's better that you have another, another source of income or source of, of, of interest that keeps you not, not going down and depressed, you know, getting depressed about that as well. Because it's a, it's a real downer. <laughs> yeah, you, I can yeah. only imagine that. Yeah, yeah. So in, in your, so it, clearly it prepared you for the second, your, your second phase of becoming a much more effective teacher, so to speak. What, and uh, earlier when we were speaking, you had said that students don't just come to you now for singing, but there are other people who come to you more from the, the angle of you being a healer. I was wondering if you could, you could yeah. share what. How, I mean, in a way, I have some sense of how that happens, but uh, love to hear from you how people approach you. Yeah, I, first of all, I know that I have that sort of tendency of um, of working on a, on, a, on a different level for a, with singing. And it's very um, present in my workshops, even more than in the one-to-one lessons. I... But I'd say that um, I don't call myself a therapist. I'm not a therapist, and I don't. Uh, I don't, you know, say that my my voice lessons are going to treat you and you're gonna become you heal yourself emotionally. No, I don't say any of this because I, you know, uh, but I think it's the quality that you provide as a person or as a you know, uh, it's something that happens, you know, in, in, in within the, that space that I teach that feel, people feel like they're being healed. And um, I have, it's very funny, but I have a lot of psychologists coming to, psychologists coming to study singing with me. And some of them say, you know, Uti, I, I feel like you don't need a therapist. You can just come to you and, and work with you. And I'd say that it's probably right for a lot of singing teachers, not just to me. I really think that singing does that. It's not just the teacher, the music, the opening, the, 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 the text, you know, the songs, the words. You know, I can tell so much about the choice of words, of, of songs, about the people and the, and the moods they're in, you know, and the face they're in by choosing songs, specific songs. And... Uh, I think what it means that when people come to lessons, they sometimes don't tell me that they're going through a hot patch or something like that, but it's been discovered and revealed during the lesson. And they sometimes the tears will come or hysterical laughter or jokes or anything, you know, can come and or some information. They'll tell me about what's going on in their lives. They unfold, something will happen. And it happens because of this beautiful conditions of music, you know, harmony, 
great songs, texts, the voice work itself, the physical work, the talking, the conversation, and the feeling being and the safe feeling that they 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 experience, and I think that provides that healing space. And um, and I and, and I guess that that's what they're attracted to, and they come back and back and back. So I understand that it does something to them. And yes, and I also hear your feedbacks and stories about how things shifted for people. And, uh, which is so lovely to hear, you know, and, uh, and, and they started to do something. They got confidence to go and perform the confidence to record an album at the age of 50 or to, or get married. I know a lot of things can happen, you know, from, from being in an environment that supports you like this. When you do something you love, of course. Yeah. Fabulous. I, um, I think earlier when I was speaking to you, at least here in America, I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, but there is a lot of, uh, resurgence of, uh, sort of shamanic traditions, uh, from Latin America, uh, and people who study them often, the healers, there is always a component of voice. Uh, of course there are certain primal instruments like the drums and, uh, certain other instruments, but. Uh, they're being combined with the with the voice, and uh, so yeah, I was. I, I I keep hearing this from my friends who were, are shamans or healers, where they they see that a lot of people come particularly to them, and they seem to open up their traumas and their wounds through the instrument of the voice. Mm-hmm. So it it is interesting that in your your case, life took you from a very different angle, but. Uh, sure. To allow to engage with people in that way. Yes. Something really made me laugh, you know, inside. Is that the first part of the conversation, you talked a lot about, or you asked, sort of went a lot about the relationship with my father. Uh-huh. And, you know, which I didn't think we we're going to speak about it. It was a little s- small thing. But then I thought to myself, uh, just now, I have a group of women that we see each other like for 12 years now. And uh, we speak about all kinds of issues and gender thing. And it's very interesting. And uh, one woman who is a psychoanalyst and me have very powerful fathers, both artists. Her father is very well known and a filmmaker. He died already. But so we, we spoke about, uh, she said, you need to release yourself from your father, you know, like to, because I'm working in his business and he's still, I'm looking after him. And she said she's been a lot of, she's done a lot of analysis to, to say, so something to do with growing up with an artist and becoming an artist. And she's also an artist, a poet, so, uh, and a writer. So I, and I'm a singer and, and that. And it was very interesting that you took me back there into the conversation and that's it's quite a nice topic to see how how my art was uh, enabled me to to grow apart away from the shadow or let's say of a great artist because I found myself a different part or different kind of art a uh, that would give me expression and um and I think I'm very happy that I went to a completely different direction. 
But nowadays, like in the last few years, I'm going back to his direction. Also because I'm looking after him and for many years, but also because I'm, I understand his, his art more. You know, I am allowing myself to go close to him without depending on him, which is, it's another topic. It's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, thank, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, there's a lot of depth to all of these. And yeah, I, I just felt like that was, there was some importance to that, especially when you had, I had already spoken to you about it, but I, I, I felt like that was an important piece. It seemed yes. like, yes, uh, which we talked about other things from the artist village and, and maybe yeah. because I didn't, I didn't have that influence, but what you're mentioning is that being with a very successful artist and choosing a different path, all of that makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I know I've kept you kept you very long. I hope that you have a restful evening. And thank you so uh, much, Gannon. Thank you, thank you. Have a good night.